Joining me in this episode of The Emma Gunn Show is body confidence advocate Laura Adlington. Because you feel like you have to be like the good fatty as well. Like that's an expression often used in the fat liberation movement of like, oh, I'm on a diet, I'm, I'm trying. I remember feeling like I didn't just have a body, like I was my body, it defined me. Yeah, I think I always try and be careful when I say this because I don't want to sort of diminish or, or, or say that other prejudice doesn't exist because it, it is still very rife. But I sort of, it does sometimes feel like fat, fat shaming and fat favour is the last acceptable form of prejudice and where we quite rightly call out and cancel people for, you know, homophobic or racist remarks. Sometimes it feels like fat jokes are still fair game. If I hadn't have done these kind of like yo-yo diets and fad diets throughout my life, maybe I wouldn't be as big as I am now. And that's the irony of it, really. Yeah, there were a few points where I thought, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't think I can put myself out there. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. My guest today is Laura Adlington, who was the standout star of 2020's The Great British Bake Off, making it all the way to the finals and winning a place in the nation's heart for her messy baking, positive attitude and infectious personality. Following her time on the show, Laura has gone on to grow a huge social media following and it's on her social media and her podcast, Go Love Yourself, where she shares empowering advice covering every aspect of body confidence, whether it's navigating fashion, sex and relationships and much, much more. Her book, Diet Starts Monday, is part manual, part memoir, charting her own journey with her body image, disordered eating, and the lessons she's learned along the way that have helped her reach a place of acceptance and neutrality around her body. It also interrogates and dismantles the nefarious and often very subtle fat phobia that exists in the world that makes fat discrimination the last acceptable form of discrimination that culturally we just can't seem to shake. Clearly, body image, eating disorders, and the impact of feeling uncomfortable in a bigger body is something we've discussed at length here on the podcast before. Reading Laura's book was incredibly confronting for me in parts because so much of her experiences mirrored my own. I remember clearly what it was like to be bullied for my weight at school and then to go home and have it pointed out to me over the dinner table. I felt I couldn't escape from the criticism about how I looked. And what I internalised from all of that for a long time was that there was something wrong with me and that I needed to change. What brought me to tears more than once while reading Laura's book was how her experience wasn't life-limiting. I know that on some level, my body image, or should I better describe it as body shame, made me opt out of life, yet Laura's message is one of, it, is one of empowerment, of owning who you are and your place in the world. 
food, dieting, body image, they're all very muddy and highly emotional topics. And for me, Laura has undoubtedly creating something in Diet Starts Monday that could help people find their way off the vicious cycle of disappointment and feeling less than, which is why I'm so excited to talk to her today. Welcome to the Emma Gunn Show, Laura Adlington. Thank you so much. What an introduction. I sound great. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are great. And I think you have done something really incredible with Diet Starts Monday. But there is something I want to go right back to the beginning of that introduction and ask you about, because I wonder if it, it messy baking. Are you a messy baker? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it, it was quite bad, to be fair. I think when I'm in the zone of baking, like I just... I mean, well, it's just that really, and nothing really else really matters. And it's not until I finish, I look around and I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not one, I'm not someone that tidies up as they go. I just kind of get stuck in and then I'll think, oh, I'll worry about it later. I think there's something so wonderfully trance-like about the act of cooking. It's such an escape. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and for me, it was for a long time. I don't really bake anymore, unfortunately. I think the trolls kind of got the better of me after Bake Off. <laughs> But I'm hoping my love for it will come back. But I know what you mean. It definitely was like free therapy for me. Well, minus the cost of flour and butter and eggs. Um, <laughs> with baking, I used to just put on some show tunes and bake and I was in my own little happy place. Yeah. Well, we'll come on to trolling later. But I think I want to sort of start at the beginning. Diet Starts Monday. I think it's really incredibly fascinating. And I think it must have been a real passion product project and dare I say a labor of love to put that book together because it is put together so methodically and um, clearly that in my experience, and I don't know if this is yours too, these thoughts and feelings exist in a complete tangle and jumble in one's own brain and heart. Yeah. And yeah. to try and put those onto paper in a way that makes sense to you and then to somebody reading, just talk to me about that process. Yeah, it definitely was a labor of love. You really hit the nail on the head when you when you say that. And and it was very cathartic for me actually. And also, you know, at times really upsetting. It was bringing up childhood traumas and, you know, things in my childhood that I'd sort of buried or forgotten about or not really wanted to kind of um put a spotlight on. Um so yeah, it was quite confronting in in some respects, but also yeah, wonderful to kind of put it down and say this is where I was and this is where I am now and this is how you can kind of get there too um, without kind of, I didn't want to patronize people or say, oh, I know exactly how you feel because I don't. Every situation is unique. Um, and as you kind of said, it's very muddy, this kind of our relationship with with our bodies, with with diet culture um, and our own kind of body image and, and body shame. It's it's very muddy, very complex, very nuanced. Um, and, but I just wanted to really share my personal experiences of it and also back it up by a lot of research because mm -hmm. I kind of, one of the biggest things that's helped me come to a place of self-acceptance is realizing that actually me being in a bigger body is not my fault. It's not because I'm I'm lazy or uneducated. Like I know how to eat well. I know what nutritious food food is and what it and what it isn't. Um, actually, it's more complex. It's genetics. It's hormones. It's it's socioeconomic factors. And so I really wanted Diet Starts Monday to to just gen genuinely just help one person. And I hope it does that. Kind of unpack all the ways in which we as women have been made to hate ourselves, basically or not like ourselves um and how to kind of stick a middle finger up to diet culture and the patriarchy and say life doesn't have to be like that like i promise like you can get off that hamster wheel of body shame and dieting like that is not what you were put on this earth for um so yeah it was it was i feel really privileged to have been able to to write the book uh and i i do i hope it's not like big-headed to say like i'm immensely proud of it 
I don't think it's big headed at all. I think imagine if you'd finished it and gone, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the one thing I didn't want. That's the one thing I cause like. There were there were nights where I was. I mean, I I write at night uh, or write most of it at night because that's just how I work best. There were so many times where I thought, oh, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. Like oh, I can't do it. And that's all I wanted was to finish it and say, like not oh my god that's incredible but like i've really done my best and that's that's bloody brilliant um and not just go oh yeah that'll do because i'm not a that'll do kind of person um and i definitely can say that i did that so that's that's really nice let's talk about um going on tv because i talked about it a little bit in the introduction about how i sort of felt like i sort of opted out i was like well i'm going to sit here on the sidelines until I fit in, until I look the way that I think I should, all of that sort of nonsense. And again, we can unpick that at length. But going on to a, a hugely popular mainstream primetime television show, I mean, I know that you've talked about it before, but was it hugely intimidating? Was it as, was the fact that you knew people were going to, quote unquote, see you, mm. was that something that affected your decision making? And did it nearly make you not do it? Yeah, there were a few points where I thought, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't think I can put myself out there. But I do, I think there's like always been a bit of a rebel in me. And I think the the rebel in me said, why not do it? Yeah, people are going to say things, but that's not a reason not to do something. And I think for me, I'd always love Bake Off. Um, mm -hmm. I used to rush home on a Tuesday night after work, bake something or buy something to, to watch along with it. I'd always been an avid fan of it. And I loved the fact that it was so wholesome and pure and real um, and just normal people. So I thought I'd never, I don't really like reality TV at all. Um, <gasps> and I don't like the way it's like manipulated and stuff like that. Although mm -hmm. I have been obsessed with Married at First Sight this year, but don't tell anyone. Um, <laughs> so I thought, do you know what, if I'm going to do anything, like it's got to be Bake Off again, because I love baking. And I thought, do you know what, if, why not me? And mm -hmm. I, that's all I kept saying to myself was, why not me? Why not me? And if there are going to be trolls, so be it. So yes, it was definitely something I considered but I just I think I was more excited than anything um and thought do you know what like can I swear wish you can darling I think like I I kind of have this like put it in the fuck it club like message <laughs> which I, I love saying because like, I just think life is too short and I think of all the th things that I missed out on because of my size and said no to and I think I just got to the age and point where I thought not this I'm mm -hmm. gonna do it and put it in the fuck it club. <laughs> when do you, do you remember when you your size was mentioned as a negative the first time? Literally the first day that we were announced, the Bakers of 2020 were announced, and I didn't read the Daily Mail article uh, or the comments because I, you know, just thought I need to protect, protect myself. But a friend of mine sent me a link to a local online newspaper, and it said the first comment I ever read about myself was looks like someone's been eating all the practice fakes yeah. and then this another person commented on that saying and everyone else's <sighs> and at that point I thought what have I done what have I done oh my god like we've the show hasn't even aired and I'm already being ridiculed so that wasn't a nice way to start to be honest with you but I have to say I was quite pleasantly surprised because if I was bullied for my weight a lot on Twitter a lot of people did come to my defense mm -hmm. and a lot of the trolling and negativity was around the messy baking or the she mm -hmm. shouldn't have got through to the next stage rather than about my weight so it wasn't all about that which yeah i think had it had it have been maybe a few years before i think that would have been a, a different case 
I think it's really interesting that first comment, that trolling comment that you saw. It very much feeds into what I said in the introduction about it. It's almost like fat phobia or anti-fat. I know we you discussed that in the book, the differentiation and why it's important to perhaps um, use different vocabulary. Um, Is because it's almost it still goes on and it's not called out in the way you would any other form of prejudice. Yeah, I think I always try and be careful when I say this because I don't want to sort of diminish or, or, or say that other prejudice doesn't exist because it, it is still very rife. But mm-hmm. I sort of, it does sometimes feel like fat, fat shaming and fat favour is the last acceptable form of prejudice and where mm-hmm. we quite rightly call out and counsel people for, you know, homophobic or racist remarks, sometimes it feels like fat jokes are still fair game. And I really want to put an end to that. And I'm, I feel so passionately about that because again it's a little bit like you know we can't like I said right at the top of the episode like we can't control it always it's not always in our um you know sorry it's not always within our power to control our weight I'm someone that's yo-yo dieted I've been on every diet you can possibly imagine I like I always think like no one would choose to be in a bigger body because it's hard um so it isn't a choice and i think that we need to be a little bit more understanding and empathetic about people that are in bigger bodies and maybe think about why they are a lot of the time mm-hmm. it's because of trauma or disordered eating uh, and the difficulty for for us is that like people with anorexia or whatever we we wear it we're wearing our trauma and so it's very visual and that sometimes we feel like people sometimes people then feel like they've got a right to comment um, and that I think needs to change. Yeah, it's almost like I think it it shows up when you just look at how kids interact with each other because kids kids make fun of the thing about you that makes you different, yes. whether it's ginger hair, the color of your skin, or the fact that you're the biggest one in the school. And so yeah. it's one of those things, isn't it? That just if that's how you look, if you look different, that's the thing. Your difference is going to be the thing that gets picked on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's re- and it is really tough because, as you say, nobody would choose to. Well, did you just say that? Did you say nobody would choose to be yeah. in a bigger body? Yeah, I don't. It's not. Yeah, no one would choose to to be in a bigger body. Like I, I genuinely don't believe that. Um, and I think and and anyone, all of us in this space would would say that because it is really hard to be in a bigger body. We face discrimination on a daily basis. It's harder to buy clothes. It's harder to get you know, respect and, and fair treatment in the workplace, let alone decent jobs and a decent salary. Um, it, it, it's it's tricky, public transport nightmare to, to navigate. Mm. It's, and that's why I just think like, it isn't a choice and it isn't because we're slovenly and lazy and stupid. Um, like I said, I know exactly what I need to eat. It's just like the binge eating is part of, you know, childhood trauma and, and other reasons. And I don't feel personally that there is enough emotional support out there for people. So you've got your Weight Watchers and your Slimming World. They don't care about that. They just want your money. And actually, if Mm -hmm. anything, controversially, I think they promote disordered eating more. Thinking of food as sinful. And I don't believe that that's that's healthy. And I don't believe that that is right at all. And I think if we focus more on the emotional and psychological reasons why people eat, then we wouldn't be in the quote obesity crisis that we're in i think you're absolutely right about diet companies i think that the reason why it is such a multi-billion pound and billion dollar industry globally is because you have to keep going back and because you and because the diet's failure isn't the diet's failure it becomes your failure so then you have to kind of get yourself ready and then 
the diet literally starts Monday, right? So you have, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get in my mind, I'm going to get in the right headspace and I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I think it's, it's really unfair actually to, to keep offering that as a solution. And I myself have thought in all of the years when I used to go to my GP or I used to go to a personal trainer, I used to go to a nutritionist. God, I went to flipping everyone, Laura. Mm. Like why, <laughs> why am I like that? Hormone specialist, everything. Mm. All I was ever told was eat less, move more. Yeah. And ultimately that will have an impact that will have yeah. a fundamental impact on your body shape, but not if standing between you and being able to eat less and move more, there's a massive hurdle. And that hurdle is a mental illness. And we know that the umbrella term or the umbrella that covers binge eating disorders and anything uh, close to it in disordered eating, you know, that that affects way more people way mm. more people and many of those people if not the majority are undiagnosed then are impacted by anorexia nervosa or bulimia yeah and so to say to people eat less move more is oh it makes yeah. me so mad it's lazy and mm -hmm. i think that is yeah it's an oversimplification it's lazy it's dangerous and we really need to stamp that out we just because we're fat it doesn't mean that we're stupid like mm -hmm. we know that if we at, at we know that if we ate less and moved more, you know, it's science, the weight, you know, would come off. We, we know that it's, I think for a lot of people as well, it's not so much losing weight. It's then it's maintaining that weight loss because the, the restriction leads to the inevitable binging because mm -hmm. our bodies are not designed to, to be in restrict mode. And so if you're going from, from, from eating, you know, I don't know, however many calories a day to, to not a lot restricting telling yourself that you can't eat certain foods at certain foods are off limits or you can only eat in certain times your body's response naturally is to fight that mm. um, and so that's where we end up in this dangerous diet binge cycle and that actually has proven to cause increased weight gain mm. so actually if we hadn't have done these if i hadn't have done these kind of like yo-yo diets and fad diets throughout my life maybe i wouldn't be as big as i am now and that's the irony of it really I feel so strongly that like diets don't work and we should be focusing so much more on, on health and the, the, the nuances around and, and health and that health is not just weight. And if we focus more on our health, we're much more likely to sustain sensible, well, well hey, sorry, we're much more likely to sustain healthy, sensible weight loss mm. than if we go on a diet. Diets simply do not work. If you could go back in time and speak to you, when was the first time as a kid that uh, your weight was brought up to you? Was it in the playground or was it, how did it turn up for you? I think I was about eight years old. Um, and I remember, I, th I think it's, it's in the opening chapter of the book actually. And I talk about going to my nan's house and I, I think because I was chubby, it looked like I was starting puberty early as well. And oh, I had- that old chestnut. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of had these little boobs and I remember my nan saying to me like oh you shouldn't really be wearing that it was like um, a polo shirt dress mm. and it had so I, like what what older people the older generation often say like oh it's not very forgiving mm. and I just remember thinking like, I look back now and I think how could you tell an eight-year-old that her dress isn't very forgiving um but it was after that I think my mum then sort of picked up on that and then that was when talk of kind of eating less moving more was kind of around our house a lot and, and was kind of circling around our house so yeah I think I was about eight years old and then definitely nine ten I was getting really badly bullied I was the biggest one in my class um and getting yeah really badly bullied for it um and that was a, a really difficult time 
it's horror it, it's really it's bringing back memories I think I was about eight same as you really and then I think I was either 10 or 11 when I went to my first Weight Watchers yeah same <laughs> horrible isn't it like when you think about it it's it's tricky isn't it because I don't know about you do you like I, I've resented my mum for a really long time for that but now I look back and think well I just don't think there was the resources and we, you know, we don't talk, we didn't, they didn't talk about it back then about how dangerous diet culture was and there weren't really any alternatives. There wasn't a manual back then on how to raise a fat kid, but I still do feel a bit resentful sometimes. Do you? I don't feel resentful to my parents at all about putting me on a diet because that was all that, that was all the information that they had. Yeah. They took me to the doctor's and if my mum wanted to lose weight, she would go on a diet. Do you know what I mean? Like that was all people, it was in the 80s. I mean, prime time of the sort of, when you turn on, can you imagine when you turn on the television and between, um, in the in the advert break for Corrie or whatever, uh, Coronation Street for uh, people who aren't in the UK, um, a prime time soap proper, there would be adverts for things like Slim Fast and Weight Watchers and, um, oh my God, uh, what were those... Um, diet meals lean lean cuisine things like that were just everywhere yeah and it was very much about low fat and that was that was just all of the messaging so that was all the information that they really had it really was so I don't have any resentment but I think what I struggle with now realizing is that because like you you get bullied out of the house and then you come home and even if it comes from a place of love you're essentially getting bullied in the house so you've got no escape yeah. from being aware that there's something wrong with you yeah and that that how that obviously very privately that no one else can see turns into the demons that become disordered eating that's yes. all stuff that begins and gets planted and again no resentment but obviously it had a very negative impact on me that has been really life-limiting for a very long time yeah yeah same same here really and it's interesting actually I hadn't thought about it until you just said it about how if you're getting it at school and you're getting it at home there really is no escape from it but I I think I said this in the book but I remember feeling like I didn't just have a body like I was my body it defined Mm. me and for a very long time after that as well into my teenage years and even early 20s and it was very much the focal point and at every dinner time it was thinking it was you know what's Laura eating that's that's enough mm-hmm. you know, not eating the you know it was a really only like birthdays and Christmases and special occasions that I felt like I could eat what I wanted without kind of shame or judgment and that's what led to me secret eating and hiding food in my bedroom mm-hmm. I had a cabin bed and I used to hide food under like behind all my teddy bears and things like that and I think Oh, that's really sad. But but even now I still do it. Like my husband will joke and say, oh, I found your stash the other day. And I think, oh, and I'm getting better. I'm, I'm definitely better at it. And the stash is smaller and it happens less frequently. But it's still, yeah, it's still there. It's, I've still struggled with it from, mm. and that's from, from eight or nine and being picked apart for what I was eating, which just felt so natural to me. It was just something that I just, I just was always hungry. Always, always thinking about food. It took up so much mental and emotional real estate. Just quickly, how old are you? 34. 34. Okay, so um, I wonder if you remember a particular brand of tortilla chip called Phileas Fogg? Phileas Fogg? No, I don't. But they were delicious and they were my stash food. So after the weekly shop, I would snaffle those away and a bit like you, put them in my bedroom. And then in the yeah. middle of the night, really quietly open the bag <laughs> and really quietly like 
like one of those machines at the arcade where you're trying to claw <laughs> out a tortilla chip without anyone hearing. Imagine trying to secret eat tortilla chips. Oh, like, I mean, it was ridiculous. Yeah. But that was something that I, I felt so afraid of eating in front of people. But I really wanted to eat that stuff. So I would squirrel it away like you and mm. eat it in the middle of the night. It's really sad when you think about it. It is sad, isn't it? Like, oh, I wish you could go back and tell both of our like younger selves, like, oh, don't do that. You don't need to do that. Um, but it's hard. It like if that's something like it was it's like an urge, isn't it? And I, you know, I think someone I spoke to recently said to me, you know, you, there's no such thing as food addiction. You can't be addicted to food because it's like saying, oh, I'm addicted to oxygen. You need food to survive. Mm -hmm. But the feeling of feeling addicted to food is real. Um, so I always think about that. And I think, yeah, if I look back and even now to an extent, I do think like food takes up so much of my, like you say, like, uh, you know, my brain space. But when I was younger, it was just felt like it was just really natural to, to want to eat all of the bad stuff and the naughty stuff. Well, that's it as well. And I think we're, we're constantly bombarded with the messaging that the kind of food that isn't nutrient dense, if you want to sort of be really broad, uh, use broad strokes, we're constantly being told that that's going to be a treat or that's going to make us feel good. And yeah. if you're already feeling bad because you're being got at, I mean, you're not going to go out as an eight-year-old kid or and spend money on clothes because you can't yeah. so you're going to go to the thing that's that's relatively cheap and accessible I remember at school on um I think it was Thursday lunch times there would be somebody who would get like a cash and carry chocolate bar thing and they'd sell Mars bars for 25p or 50p or something I can't remember and I didn't want to eat a big meal so I'd eat two of those thinking well it's just small two two chocolate bars it's it's two snacks because I had no idea somewhere along the line all of that, um, com all of those complicated emotions and feelings about my body and about food meant that I stopped being rational, actually, about what I was feeding myself. Mm. And I just went for the quick hits. Yeah, I was the same. And I think to some extent, I still am the same. Um, like, you know, picking up a chocolate bar is a lot more convenient and easy than making something from scratch, isn't it? And, mm. and, and like you say, you get that instant sugar fix and, and that hit. But I think... I also grew up in a house where we we weren't you know like we weren't we didn't grow up in food sorry I didn't grow up in food poverty but money was very tight and we didn't mm. have a lot of it and so I did grow up on turkey twizzlers and chips at least a few times a week and I think also that didn't really help because I didn't really understand that you know that's not great and that I needed to have more nutrition and I have balance and stuff, but also I was just always hungry. Yeah. So I wanted the pasta and the sweets and the carbs and stuff just, just to, fill, to fill me up. Um, and because we didn't have a lot of money, that food was really cheap back then and really accessible. So I sort of feel like I didn't really stand a chance to be honest with you. I agree with you. And I think there's lots coming out as well now. Like I think the ultra processed food topic is going to be absolutely huge over the next 12 to 18 months. And I think about on like school holidays, half term, I would, again, I'm like 11 years older than you, but I would be at home, neighbours would come on, home and away their neighbours. And during that time, I would cook a Chicago town pizza, a mini one, and a packet of microchips in the microwave. And it would take me five minutes to make it and less than that to devour it. And then I'd be hungry immediately afterwards. Mm. And I think all of that is going to sort of, the ultra processed food and how addictive it is and how it's not satisfying. I think we're going to see so much more of that next year, which I think is a good thing to an extent. Yeah, I do. 
No, I do, because I think it is interesting, especially with now with fast food isn't cheap. It isn't actually, you can't really actually say that it's cheaper than cooking a homemade meal, a healthier mm. meal or more nutrient dense meal. Um, but I think there is definitely in that, in something like the the addictive qualities of ultra processed food and how how they aren't nutrient dense and they're not they're not good for us. So they're just not. Um, I'm I'm also really interested in that in that as well. Um, similar to you, I used to roll up slices of bread. I used to cut the crusts off, roll up slices of bread, make them like into a, into a ball, like a doughy ball, and eat like five six of those when I came home from school because there was not really any food in and like I just wanted that carpet but I'd still want mm. me in my dinner but it's just interesting isn't it like how I don't know yeah like just how sorry I don't know where I'm going with this but yeah it's just like how much our appetite and that kind of yeah the addictive quality of of, of food has an impact on us that and then the diet culture messages telling us we're we're bad people and then for me it was always like oh i've been bad so i'm a bad person and then i'd feel like shit about myself and then i'd mm -hmm. want to eat more yeah. and then that cycle continued for a really long time i think it's really interesting about using the word addiction as well because i've spoken to mental health professionals psychologists and whenever i say I used to feel addicted to food. I would get the sort of, the, I could feel the bristle in their body language because they were like, it's not really an addiction, Emma. And to your point about you can't be addicted to oxygen. Well, uh, if you ever seen anybody on lots of oxygen, they like it quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> like, um, yeah, so gas and air, pe people love it. it. It makes you feel really good. But I, I, I can't think of a better way to describe how I used to feel about food than an addiction to the point where if I went to a wedding, for example, and if it was, it was a buffet wedding, mm. even if I had my back to the buffet, I wasn't paying attention to what was happening at the table. I wasn't paying attention to the conversation. I couldn't give a crap about what the bride was wearing. I was like, is there going to be enough for me? <laughs> Whilst also thinking, how can I go up there and get what I want without looking greedy? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because you feel like you have to be like the good fatty as well. Like that's uh, a, yeah. a expression often used in the fat liberation movement of like, oh, I'm on a diet, I'm I'm trying, and then feeling like you can only eat salad in public mm. when actually what you really want is the whole buffet of beige food. But yeah, I, it's interesting you saying that because I I honestly mate same. But I'd love to know what what was what changed for you because I feel like I'm still struggling. Like to be honest with you, but you said like you sort of feel like you've made peace with food now. What was there like a big turning point or? There was, but I don't see what's really interesting. I've read your book and I don't think, well, it's interesting that you say, I still think I'm struggling because what I think you've done is you've gone on a journey that I couldn't, I, I wasn't equipped for. I couldn't have done what you've done. So I, I don't see you as struggling. I see what you've done as really valuable also. But for me with the food stuff, honestly, I got to 41 and had a breast reduction which is, which is like a, a very expensive <laughs> B um, like a big deal. It's a general anesthetic. Yeah. And I came out of the surgery and I misguidedly assumed that if I altered my body in that way, that, that I would somehow make peace with it, that everything would fall into place, but it didn't. I just had really perfect surgically enhanced boobs and the rest of me looked terrible in comparison. And I thought, okay, this is ridiculous. This is now mental because you've actually, I didn't mutilate myself, but I'm going to use that word for drama. But I did something quite drastic. And I thought, okay, this isn't a physical issue. This is a mental one. 
Yes. Yeah. And so that's what, and I just thought, I just thought, I don't want this to be the thing that I can't ever overcome. I'd feel really sad because I know for me, it was limiting my life. I, and I, that's why I mentioned the fact that you were, you did, you, you do things, you've got married, you've had relationships, you've gone on television. I honestly absented myself from all of those experiences. And I felt like if I didn't get on top of it, I would be living half a life for the rest of my life. And I didn't want to do that. So I guess I kind of reached, I would say a mental health crisis <laughs> or I don't know, a rock bottom. Yeah. I just thought this has to, this has to be something that I give my time and attention to, but that's not to say it was easy. And it wasn't, it's not to say that it necessarily happened overnight and it's, it's not a linear recovery and it's not recovered. It is something I will have to manage for the rest of my life. But, um, that was it really sorry that was a very long-winded response to a very <laughs> no no it's, it's it's interesting and I think I completely agree with you about the whole like it's not linear uh thing because people say to me all the time like how are you so confident how did you get there and I say to them well, I still have bad bod body image days just like everybody else but I just kind of realize like there's more to life um mm. and that that's really is like the crux of it I think genuinely I have come to a place of body acceptance and peace with my body and that's by leaning into body neutrality rather than thinking I have to love how I look mm. um I think it's just the food I still struggle with I think body image wise I feel like in a really good place with um and I don't let it limit me anymore um it's just the feeling addicted to food that I still struggle with but I am yet to find anybody that can really help with that um and that's yeah that's really frustrating like they don't there doesn't seem to be specialists in binge eating disorder mm. um um or, or anything really like i said before for bigger people when when they're struggling or anyone really struggling with emotional eating and that's what i find really frustrating i think i've heard you say before as well that you have gone to the doctors before and you've said i i can't stop eating i feel addicted to food and they've gone have you tried eating less so you're absolutely right. Even if you, even if you get to that point where you're able to articulate that actually this, these feelings I have around food, I know that they're not ideal. There is, where do you go for help? There is nothing. And that, and that's what the doctor told, told me. They basically will either recommend you go on, um, like join a diet club or it's bariatric surgery. Mm. Um, the latest one is obviously the weight loss injections, uh, which have been shown to suppress appetite. Mm. But my worry with those is that they've only been approved for use up to two years. So it's temporary, isn't it? So, mm. okay, you might lose weight on them, but then what? Um, so then bariatric surgery is often offered as a miracle cure and mi miracle solution. And I very nearly had it. I was actually less than a week away from having bariatric surgery when I decided it wasn't right for me because yes, they were going to fix my stomach and by stapling it all around and reorganizing it to my small intestine and whatever, but actually it wasn't going to fix up here and my relationship with food. And I read and researched a lot about people that have, um, what's something called addiction replacement. So they mm. replace their food addiction with smoking or with alcohol or with drugs or with w whatever else, because 
that there's that addictive quality that they're, they're missing but people also fall into depression easily because they miss food because food mm. is a joyful part of life and it is it's such a joy um and i realized i would never be able to eat a roast dinner with my family again and that i thought no that's not a life for me so i'm really glad i didn't have it uh, i think it's right for some people don't get me wrong but i don't think it's right that we offered that up as a miracle solution as a one-size-fits-all solution because we're all unique and i think what's so much more important is that we look at what's going on up here and why we're overeating mm. that's the biggest thing i think for me that's missing and i think it's also really frustrating that if you do get picked on whether you're a child or an adult and as an adult it normally manifests doesn't it in a look a sort of that body scan look head to toes and up again yeah. that kind of thing <laughs> um that the the quickest and easiest comfort to that feeling of being judged is you guessed it <laughs> food yeah. Or a cry and then some food or or food and then a cry. Yeah. It's the biggest source of comfort and joy for me. For me, it is like, and yeah, a food is, you know, for, for a long time was, you know, my best friend or my only friend. Sometimes mm. food was always there. And even, you know, you saying about as a you know kid, like consoling yourself with food and stuff, you can't buy clothes, whatever. I remember giving given pocket money every week, going to town with my friend, couldn't buy clothes like everybody else. So I console myself by buying chips and as much sweets and chocolate as I could get. Mm -hmm. um, and th so that's what I did. Um, but that created a vicious cycle. And I think that that wasn't necessarily good for me, but it was really, it was one that's really hard to break. I'm curious what you think about uh, how to talk about children, how to talk to a child who is perhaps and I we're get, and this is going to be what we do all all conversation where we kind of <laughs> use a word and we're like, is it okay that I use oh, that word? Yeah, I know. But just because we're painting with broad strokes here, um, I was overweight as a child, so yeah. above the average weight for my age range, <laughs> and it was pointed out to me. But I remember once, so a friend of mine at school, Sophie, her mum told her she was fat, mm. and that was the that was the thing that made Sophie then lose weight. And I was like, hmm. So one, and so I went home and I basically like begged my mum to call me fat, hoping oh, no. that it would be, it would be the trigger. And it wasn't, I just now have a memory of making my mum call me fat. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, that is quite funny. <laughs> it is quite funny. But then I'm like, well, what, what do you say to a child? Do you leave them completely alone? Or if we, if we both understand that what might be going on, not, not necessarily definitely, but that what might be going on is the beginning of a potentially unhealthy, toxic, whatever word you want to use that relationship with food, how do you head it off at the pass? It's a really difficult one. It is so difficult and so tricky. And again, I don't think there's any one size fits all solution. Um, but there is the last chapter of my book does address this. I spoke to an amazing lady called Molly Forbes. Um, she's got a book called Body Happy Kids, um, which I really recommend if, if you're a parent or a carer and you're worried about this kind of thing. But the biggest kind of piece of advice that she gave to me about kind of how to break the intergenerational cycle of diet culture was about making food and bodies and image just a non-issue so we don't mm. talk about bodies and that means i grew up in a very kind of weight obsessed and looks obsessed family mainly from my my dad really um if you can not comment at all about other people's weight or other people's appearance so not saying things like obviously oh, sharon she's lost loads of weight or she's put on loads of weight doesn't she look amazing not saying those kind of things 
not talking about diets, not using any kind of diet talk around your kids, which I know is not easy because it's so ingrained in us to say, oh, I've been really bad today. Actually, I better not have that extra whatever. Um, but just making food a non-issue, making sure that food is is there to be enjoyed and we don't actually comment on what they're eating. We don't mm-hmm. weigh kids. I think she says that's really, really important. And that we make sure exercise is used for fun and it's playful and it's, you know, we, we find exercise that's right for that child for for your child or for whatever child not because it's like for me it was you need to run around the field because you need to burn that off what you've just eaten or you need to lose weight so you're going to go and do this it like ruined my love for swimming something I actually enjoyed for years because I then saw exercise as a punishment um so yeah there's lots of things and I think just to touch on what you said about language it's a difficult one and I definitely wouldn't ever condone anyone calling their child fat but I do think that it's important that we 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 treat fat more as a neutral descriptor rather than it having it painted as this really bad dirty word and I think it's very the context is really important so my niece recently um bless her love her we're so close I love her to pieces and I knew it was always going to be coming because she's curious she's six you know this is when she was about five six she don't want to or you're really really fat and I said yes darling I said you are right I said but actually it's not nice to talk about other people's bodies because that can be hurtful and upsetting and I'm sure you wouldn't like it if somebody commented on what you look look like would you in a negative way it's a difficult one because I think fat so you know we've we've been conditioned to think of the word fat as as deeply cruel because it mm. can be and it can often be weaponized and it is weaponized but actually i think the more we use it as a neutral descriptor like brunette like tall like skinny mm. then i think that's probably better but just not using it in an in a you're you're fat and ugly which is normally the kind of the two would go hand in hand so i think that's really important too but um it's a it's a tricky one and it's very very complex and i don't envy anyone kind of thinking about it but i would say really above all else put the focus on health not weight and not appearance and i think that is really really key well you touch on that there because there is a real um the idea of weight and health um yes weight and health get conflated don't they if you're bigger, you must be unhealthy. If you're smaller, you must be healthy. But we know that that's not fundamentally true. And I think even you said in the book, and I didn't know this, that there's actually a correlation between height, the taller you are, there's some sort of link with cancer or something. Is that right in the book? There's that? Yeah, there's lots of things that you can, you know, you can put correlations to, 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 towards sort of health and weight, but you wouldn't necessarily say to someone that was taller, you know, don't be tall. <laughs> yeah be more risk of cancer yet we kind of feel it's okay to say some people that are bigger will just lose weight then um i think it would be really um kind of clumsy of me to say that uh weight doesn't affect health i think that at either ends of the weight scale it can have an impact on health mm-hmm. so i do want to say that i don't think that you can be healthy at every or any size but i definitely think you can be bigger and healthy and we all know people that are in smaller bodies that are really unhealthy i know plenty of people that are smaller in smaller bodies that smoke don't do any exercise and eat you know nothing but junk food um so i think it's so personal and i think health is also really nuanced and i think we focus so much on weight and i think that's wrong i think health is about mental health it's about stress it's about sleep it's about how many times you go to the toilet a day Mm. and i really do wish we would focus a little bit more on that and and how individual it is i personally feel like i'm always going to be in a bigger body 
and I don't feel unhealthy. I'm not saying I am healthy, but I don't personally feel unhealthy. Like I live an active life. I walk the dog for, for an hour every day. I go swimming. I do struggle with overeating on certain foods and chocolate and sweet stuff. But I also really love vegetables and I love like mm. healthy food and healthy dinners. Um, so yeah, it's it's a tricky one. I just I just I just think that we need to stop making assumptions by think that sorry I just need to I think we need to stop thinking that we can tell a person's health by their weight uh, and even if a person isn't healthy they still deserve respect and dignity like everybody else just because someone isn't healthy doesn't mean that we write them off mm. um, and kind of castigate them from society because that's wrong it is and I think what you, the other thing I've seen leveled at you when I was doing my research and again because you're a high profile you've been on the television people know who you are you've got massive social media following is that people will say you're promoting obesity yeah and I don't think you are thank you I appreciate that um I that is something that I get thrown out a lot and actually that's I can deal with people calling me a fat bitch or a fat whatever because it's just water for ducks back now but one can thing you, that does... is that part of the journey sorry to interrupt but for me no, that's yeah. a part of your journey that I think is really I don't know if admiral is the right word but in that neighborhood because I think to be able to be bulletproof to external criticism about how you look is is a, a real armor that takes a lot to build. Laura and I will be right back after this short break. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Because I think to be able to be bulletproof to external criticism about how you look is is a, a real armor that takes a lot to build. Yeah, so the kind of comments are you know, just calling me a fat whatever don't really bother me that much. But the ones that say I'm promoting obesity do, because I'm not exactly, you know, holding a, a plinth for, you know, this way for McDonald's in the high street or saying, eat this every day. And actually, we don't say to the people that do the what I eat in a day videos that they're promoting disordered eating, which is, let's be honest, what they're doing. It's not about what they're eating. It's about what they look like, because they're posing in these tight gym wear and showing off their flat stomach. That to me is more dangerous and unhealthy than what I'm doing, which is all I'm saying is live your best life as you are. I don't really go in on the health stuff because mm -hmm. I'm not an expert in it. It would be wrong of me to do that. I'm just saying don't give in to the demons of diet culture. Don't feel like you have to spend your whole life on a diet because it's a fucking waste of life. There's so much more to it. Um, 
and you know wear the bright bright colored dress wear clothes that you have been told are unflattering by like trini and susanna all your life go and do the thing that scares you go on holiday make memories have experiences because life is short life is precious and you deserve to live a full and happy life just as you are like please don't Mm. have a small life just because you're bigger or because you've got insecurities and that's really all i'm saying which I think is really valuable. And like I said, I, I will be very honest. And I don't even think I've even properly thought these thoughts before. But obviously I've lost weight since I had that realization post-breast reduction. But I do have to ask myself, just listening to you there, say I woke up tomorrow, well, not that that would happen. Say I was in a bigger body again. Would I change the way that I'm living? I think I would. I think I would shrink shrink my life again. I would opt out again because I haven't done the I haven't done that work. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> Phone's counsellor. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, like we said, it's a tricky one. It's linear every day. Like we're all learning. Like I'm still learning loads about myself, about diet culture and the impact. And that's fine. I think that's really lovely that you can be open and honest and vulnerable and say, I'm maybe not quite there yet. And I think it's understandable when we live in a society that values how we look over who we are. Mm. that that takes so much unlearning and undoing and it's it's a long and complex process can we talk a little bit about the different voices that are now very loud online um talking about weight previously Mm. it used to be very much weight loss and those voices would be fitness or diet and it would always be about here this hack or lose 12 pounds in 10 days, that kind of nonsense. And I worked for women's health for a spell and I became deeply uncomfortable with it. Um, But those voices have really shifted. And what I think there are now are these very, at at some edges, very volatile groups of people inhabiting these spaces, occupying these spaces, talking about weight, whether it's body acceptance, body positivity, and they're in conflict. And what I found really interesting is obviously my social media will be an echo chamber of the things that I like, as will yours. And I had Davinia Taylor on the podcast a little while ago. And from that podcast, I posted something that she said on my Instagram. And it is my most engaged with post of all time, because on that episode, she said, and she's talking about her experience, she said, obesity is a slow death. And she backed it up in the podcast by talking about the research that she'd done and various other bits and bobs. But in isolation, that post really, really upset people. And what I then went on to do is because people very rightly said, Emma, this is perhaps not the most responsible thing you could have posted. Mm. Uh, I was then suge- It was then suggested that I uh, read Dr. Joshua Woolrich. Is it Woolrich? Woolrich, Woolrich. yeah. Woolrich. I read his book. I read... Um, Aubrey Gordon's and the other really famous one that's been around since the seventies that the name's gone out of my head now. The beauty myth. No, no, the um, diet is not a. Is it that one? Anyway, the point you reference it in in your book because I thought oh, that's really interesting. That's the reading material I went to. Now I didn't I didn't align with those voices, so I didn't see. I don't see those people in my social media feed. And so I think that is a problem in and of itself, because you're either in one camp or another. And I think that this discussion, as we've discussed, it's mental, emotional. It's far more nuanced. And actually, all of the voices are important to hear, don't you think? Yeah. And it's a really, really good point, actually. And I'm glad you brought it up, because I think often people 
I even worry that I'm in, I live in an echo chamber in this lovely little bubble of like, we're all great as we are. And we should all accept ourselves as we are. And then you get, cause then you get the opposite end. And it some, can sometimes feel like the internet, maybe even the world is divided into two halves. Yeah. One that's super obsessed and focused on like health and like being overweight or bigger is bad. And then the other one, that, which is like, I don't care. I love myself. And I will, you know, what I, I don't really sit in either camp, to be honest with you. And I mm-hmm. think it's a bit like politics. Like, you know, you don't, I don't necessarily pick a camp. I don't really feel aligned with either. Probably sit quite in the middle, if I'm honest. I probably sit more towards the kind of the body confidence and the body positivity people, obviously, for obvious reasons. Um, I feel like it's 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 it can be sometimes dangerous to say like, oh, we're, so, we're so careful, like, well, like I know. what you say. But um, I do worry about health. And I do think that, as I said, weight can have an impact on health. And it would be irresponsible of me to say that it, it doesn't. Um, but I do also think that there's a lot of people that are just out for clickbait or just because it's okay to hate fat people and like, oh, let's just, they're an easy target. Let's just say that they're, you know, costing the NHS a fortune or whatever and they're a bane on society because that's easy to do. I think like you just said, like it's so much more complex and nuanced than that. And like, I think it's really important again, just to say that it isn't always a choice being fat, like being in a bigger body. Um, and I think that it's really important that we do listen to different people and have different people on our social media feeds, people that are bigger than us, people that are smaller than us, different abilities, ages, races, genders, so that we do get a different opinion and that we don't live in an echo chamber because I, that is something that I do worry about as well. I th- I just think it happens all the time. And I just thought it was really interesting. When I looked at all of the people that you cited, I thought that's so interesting because I know who those people are and I have at points engaged with their content. I never see them. Mm. not even okay I, I I have chosen not to follow them but actually you just said something there about choice and I'm sometimes worried that from the outside because people have been who have been following me for a while might think well she used to look like this and now she looks like this they might think that I made a choice overnight to stop being overweight <laughs> but that's not what happened mm. Not, I mean I've talked about reading the book brain over binge and it was a little bit like a software update I read it went to sleep that night and I woke up and fundamentally some things had embedded in my head that made me made made my relationship with food different from then on didn't mean that I suddenly didn't want it all the time but I just had a different set of tools from Mm. which to work but it's certainly not like oh overnight I just made a choice and I think we've talked about it quite a lot already that people will just assume that you're choosing or one is choosing to look a certain way, be a certain way. And it's it's so much bigger than that. It is, yeah. Because I think, like, for me, I, I like I said, I, I can lose weight. Like, most people can lose weight, like, on diets. And, you know, when we say diets don't work, they do work for a short period of time. And then you can't maintain the restriction. Mm. And so that's where I struggle and where I fall down. So, you know, I think if there was a a miracle cure like they've kind of said the weight loss injections like could be that was long term I would be open to it but I also think it's it's more about what's going on up here and that's what we don't tend to tend to look at and I think it's just so individual and I think we just need to have a little bit more of an open mind about it rather than just think like all fat people are lazy and Mm. I, I sometimes also feel like and we discuss this on um on on my podcast the other day sometimes it feels like there's a level of respect that that is there until the point where you think that someone isn't attractive 
And if you don't find someone attractive, it's almost like, oh, well, they don't deserve my respect. And I think that happens a lot with bigger people. It's like there's a line as well of like, or a limit where you can be a size 14, 16, maybe even an 18, and then you're an acceptable fat because you're curvy in all the right places. Mm. But anything after that, if someone doesn't deem you attractive, then all of a sudden you're not worthy of respect. I find that a lot on social media, especially TikTok. And it's very worrying. That, how does that show up? Oh, the vitriol on TikTok. And like I say, oh, it doesn't bother me, but I actually just post on TikTok and I don't look at the comments because it's so bad. Um, I think people are just trying to be funny and trying to like one up each other on how nasty they can be on TikTok. And there seems to be more of an anonymity on TikTok than there is on mm. other platforms. Um, and I don't really know like why that is, whether it's because it, it's new or people can be more anonymous. But the comments like I've had a couple of things go viral on TikTok and believe me, it's not what it's cracked up to be. It was, it's, the, it's horrible. Some of the things that are, are written and said about people yeah. like me and people that look like me. I think TikTok's a really fascinating place. I don't want to say, I mean, it's, it's terrible and awful, but I, I'm fascinated by it because what I think, I don't really follow anyone. And so for that reason, TikTok's always trying to gauge what I'm interested right. in. Yeah. And what it keeps showing me is people who clearly have mental health issues who have unfettered access to a phone and live streaming and um, I won't say the names of the accounts because I don't want to let myself down but I'll tell you afterwards but <laughs> but what but what that does is it engages so much criticism and it makes yeah. the people commenting feel better but the people that they're picking on the people that they're pointing out are not well mm. are not well so yeah. what are you really winning yeah, it's a bit scary sometimes, I think. I feel like that's the dark side of social media. Yeah. But for me, social media has been life-changing, I would almost say, because mm -hmm. it helped me find community. Growing up fat, I always felt really alone. And it wasn't until I was on Instagram following other fat babes and fat creators and people kind of talking about their own personal experience or wearing nice clothes. And I thought, oh, maybe I could do that too so there is a real positive side but i think it's yeah, just yeah. about how you curate your news feed and i think that's where tiktok is a bit odd in that you can't because it's normally like you said it's more just you know the for you page is just oh you might like this and you might like this and so when i as a kind of pretty much content fat person show up on someone's for you page and they're not expecting it they're like oh what is this <laughs> Whereas most on Instagram, it's a nice supportive place. Yeah, it's funny how the tonally, they're all very different. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit because you have built up this incredible community of people. And I have heard you say that you, when you think about weight loss and you think about potentially, would you like to? There's a part of you that thinks, will I be betraying this community who follow me? Because they have come to feel safe with me my messaging how i look and what i stand for and that any change to that might elicit negativity yeah it is something i think i felt about more before uh, than i do now but sometimes it does feel it has felt like pressure to not lose weight because i have seen other people like plus size creators fat creators that lose weight and then people say oh you've sold out like you know I don't like you anymore whatever mm. but I also think like there are people that have lost weight and done it very publicly and promoted their diet and I don't agree with that I don't care what size you are I don't want to know what you eat in a day I don't care about 
what exercise you do like I generally just don't give a shit like I find it really boring and a bit triggering as well mm. so I think that yeah those people cannot like lose 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 a following but I think it's difficult because like when Adele lost weight for example I was one of the people that really loved seeing representation like her you know the representation that she was an, a, a bigger body a bigger woman hugely successful huge talented love respected adored sometimes really killed for her weight but mostly loved and you know and adored then when she lost the weight I was a bit like oh okay but then I was like do you know what her what she does with her body is nothing to do with me so I think and most people I think have that like opinion like now so I don't like tend to let it bother me but it maybe yeah I think it's probably is in the back of my head a little bit but I don't know I think a lot of it is just about how you would go about it. So I still think, I think probably every day about being smaller or losing weight. I think someone on TikTok I saw the other day was saying about how that's like the female version of the Roman empire. You know, the whole like men think about the Roman empire. The female version is thinking or wanting, thinking about or wanting to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how fucking sad is that? but it's so true. I think I do think about it every single day, but that the difference is that now I go, okay, well, I know that diets don't work and I've been there, done that, bought every t-shirt, tried Slimming World 16 million times. That doesn't work, but I want to be healthier. So what is there? And I find myself stuck in that place. But I think maybe that's why like, I've been really lucky enough to have that loyal following on social because I'm honest about it. And I think maybe that's, 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 that's it, but I don't know. You've reminded me of, yeah, that used to, I used to, um, I think I might've said this before in the show, but like when I was young and because I was the bit like you, biggest kid in the class, I, thought that there was some sort of magic there was some sort of curse <laughs> that had made me fat mm. and so I would I would get quite superstitious like if I step on that I might lose weight or if I do this I'll wake up thin tomorrow and I remember distinctly when I was at school between the fifth form and then going into the lower sixth you could wear you didn't have to wear uniform in the lower and upper sixth and I didn't want to be a fat sixth former right so I fantasized about losing weight in um in that summer. And I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll wear really baggy clothes. So if I see anyone, they won't know. And I would, <laughs> and then it'd be like this big reveal because I'd bought into all of those like swan makeover elements of teen shows yeah. that we'd watched. Yeah. Because the fat girl right. in teen shows when I was growing up always got slim eventually. Yeah. Yeah, I was exactly the same as you. I was obsessed with like the Swan and makeover shows. Um, it's interesting what you were saying there because, and I obviously I don't want to like diagnose you and I would never dream of doing that. But um, we recently did a podcast episode with someone who was a uh, body who had experience, it was an expert, sorry, in body dysmorphic disorder. Mm. And she was saying about there are so many links with OCD and it's actually just been reclassified as being in the same family and so that those kind of like um almost like ritualistic things that you were doing are really aligned and that i don't know that was just really interesting to me um oh no i'm definitely that it's not right still but right. i just i feel like i know what i'm working with does that make sense so it's like yeah i know what i'm working with now so i can take effort every day to write write the ship but it but it's still on board <laughs> 
Yes, I know exactly what you mean by that because, yeah, like I still have the voice in my head saying like you're good and bad for eating something or not doing something or doing something. Um, but again, it's like choosing to kind of try and just say, okay, enough and getting on with your day and your life anyway, like regardless, like that voice is still there. I still have that nagging voice saying you're a piece of shit, like you need to lose weight. That will probably always be there. It's just, yeah, like you say, you, now you have more of the tools and resources to go I'm not listening to you today. It it really is pushing it away. It's just saying that's not real. You, um, What is it? Don't believe everything you think. Yeah. And it's just going, that's not real. That's not real. Yeah. And just trying to tune in. Yeah, exactly. Just trying to tune into what is real is the most important thing, I think. Um, what was I going to ask you about? Because we've hurtled towards our time together. I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> it was just going to be over in a flash. But um, I want to end on a positive. I think all of this has been positive, by the way, But I, and I hopefully really helpful to the people who are listening. But there are a couple of things that you said. One of them is that uh, it's scary, but also liberating, knowing that you'll never go on a diet again, that you've yeah. learned your lesson from dieting, you don't believe that they work, therefore you're not going to get on that hamster wheel again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, I never see myself joining a diet or doing a fad diet again, unless, oh, and I sort of say this in the book, unless you have to have surgery or there's a medical reason why you have to lose weight quickly, uh, I'm not doing that again. I'm not putting my body through that. I'm not putting my mind through that. And that feels wonderful. And that feels like a big middle finger up to diet culture. Thank you very much. <laughs> But that can also feel a little bit scary because then you kind of go, oh, what? okay, so I would like to be a bit healthier. I'd like to make healthier changes. How do I do that? And how do I do that without it then becoming obsessive? Like, How do mm. I do that without weighing myself three times a day like I used to? Um, it's about kind of finding that middle ground. And that's something I'm still kind of working on, to be honest with you, of how do I do that? Um, yeah, I think exactly as I said, I think that is liberating, but also sometimes can feel a bit scary, feeling like you're a bit on your own. And I think you've raised a really good point, actually, is that um, I think we're all looking for that silver bullet, that magic bullet that's just going to fix some, fix whatever it is that we might want to be fixed. And it's funny, I was out yesterday and a friend, I hadn't seen her in three years, maybe even a bit longer, maybe even since before you know what. And um, I said, oh, my God, I love she was wearing this amazing outfit. I said, oh, my God, I love your outfit. It's amazing. You look fantastic in it. And said, well, I'm doing this new thing. And as soon as she said it, I thought, oh my God, I used to say that thousands of times. That was how <laughs> I used to introduce myself to people mm. with, with a perceived apology of, yes, but I'm trying. And it would be, it would come out of my mouth as, oh, I'm doing this new. And it's exhausting and futile. It really is. And I think when you, when you learn about it and you kind of pick up on it, you'll be, you're amazed at how triggered you are when diet talk comes up or creeps in. Like, I was at the hairdressers recently and I used the toilet and I could hear the girls in the kitchen saying, oh, you couldn't get into that before your diet. You look amazing now. Like, oh my God, you look so much better. And I was just like, I'm really triggered very easily by, by certain things. But I just, when we talk about people's weight loss and how great they look now, um, you're kind of saying that they are more worthy than they were in a bigger body. And it puts a lot of pressure on people to maintain that weight loss. And that's why when people do lose weight, they don't want to go out and they don't want to engage with society because society tells us that we are of more value when we're in a smaller body and that weight loss is, because weight loss is so praised, we, it's seen as like one of the best things that you can do. And I just find that personally really dangerous. And that's why I don't comment now on friends losing weight. We don't know why, 
they could be ill they could be stressed they could have gone through some trauma um but it's so hard to do i bumped into a friend's mum the other day who lost loads of weight and my first reaction was to say oh my god you look amazing you've lost so much weight and luckily i stopped myself because i remembered that she'd been really really poorly she nearly died so that's not that's not cool like that's not cool for me to say that's not appropriate um but diet talk is everywhere and everywhere the messaging and, and everything and again i wish that was something that we could just stamp out because honestly i just find it so fucking dull i've grew up with it all my life like smart these are smart women funny intelligent bright women career women talking about their bodies and their diets like that and i think oh my god like i find it so sad it's really interesting because i have chosen to talk about my journey because for me it has felt really empowering i've said we know that there are issues but and they're on board but i am definitely in a much better place than I was before. I'm no longer uh, consumed by thoughts of food or how I look or what my clothes size is or what my weight is. I really do feel like I've released myself from that. But I try to talk about it in a way that's responsible, which means not giving too much information. Yeah. Which people often ask for. I've been asked many times, would you do a what I eat in a day? And I would just say, absolutely not. Because what I eat in a day, if you copy it, might not be right for you. So don't, you shouldn't be looking at anybody's what I eat in a day. But I, I do find it, quite difficult because then I think people think I'm being I'm withholding the secret (laughs) and I'm not trying to withhold anything what I'm trying to say is everybody's journey is their own mine is mine and I will give you what I and I'm a trained journalist I will give you what I think is a value from it in a way that I hope is benign and helpful but I can't I'm not going to prescribe anything because exactly as you say it becomes dangerous yeah, and I, that's why I don't like the What I Eat In A Day videos because uh, I just think they're curated. I think a lot of them are, f- are fake or false. And like you just said, like what's right for someone is not going to be right for anybody else. So that's why I wouldn't promote it because I, w- I don't, wouldn't say that my like, every day I eat the best I could possibly do. That would be really irresponsible for me to share that. And that's why I think it's irresponsible for other people to. Like I just I genuinely don't give a shit. But also you just... Yeah, like you say, I think it's just a really dangerous path to disordered eating and for comparison as well. Mm. Oh, look at her. She's got her life together. She got up at five o'clock. She did a gym workout. Then she had, you know, um, a a protein smoothie and nothing else. And then she starved herself until lunchtime. I'm I'm, I'm terrible. I've had, you know, scrambled egg on toast. Oh, my God, I've had carbs. Carbs are the enemy. Like, no, like, just don't. We shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't. It is. It's it's and it's so tough. And I don't know. I mean, I think books like yours will are beginning to push the conversation in in a good direction. But I do wonder about what it will be like in 10 years, 20 years' time. Will women still be doing will it ever really evaporate this kind of just split second reaction to seeing somebody in a bigger body? Will we ever be able to sort of as you say neutralize it i have hope that we sorry husband's making noise outside (laughs) um there's always something isn't there Mm. um i do have hope that one day we get to a point where women's bodies we just stop talking about women's bodies like weight loss weight gain whatever 
I think what you're saying is interesting about when we see a, a bigger person, our immediate reaction is is that. And I, maybe that won't change. Sometimes I worry that we've kind of put a band-aid over everything and that actually inherently we are all just image-obsessed, fatphobic people. But I think actually, you know, the more we do neutralise the word fat, the more we talk about and have healthy, balanced discussions about it, I have hope for future generations that we can be a, a lot more accommodating and accepting and that it will change. And I am already seeing that. I think, in, like I said, books like Molly Forbes, Mo Molly Forbes's book, I think, uh, you know, really helped me personally and I hope, well, hopefully will help other parents. But I notice it in like my niece's generation that they are taught about kindness and not talking about, you know, people's bodies and things like that. So I do hope that it will change. And I hope that there are other little kind of chubby girls that looked like me when I was younger. I really hope that someone says to them what no one said to me, which is some people are just bigger than others and that's okay. Mm. Because I think, God, what a difference that would have made to me. I think it's slow and sometimes it feels like we take two steps forward and then four steps back. But I'd like to think that we are getting there and that we are in a, a much more accommodating, accepting world than we used to. Take, for example... Alison Hammond on this morning recently with Cliff Richard. I don't know if you saw it. I did. I did. And everyone, I could like, I, I didn't actually catch it, but I saw it on social media afterwards and I watched it with the like the, <gasps> again, because I'm very easily triggered by like <laughs> talk like that. But what was really, really wholesome and heartwarming to see was that all the comments online were, oh, Cliff, no. Like, For people who didn't watch the clip, Cliff Richard, the very famous octogenarian singer, I believe now. <laughs> Uh, was on this morning and he was talking about the fact that he had the opportunity to meet Elvis Presley, but he declined meeting him because yeah. he said that if he was going to have a picture with him, he didn't want to have it with him when he was basically really overweight. He was going to wait until Elvis <laughs> shed the pounds, but yeah. Elvis instead expired. <laughs> so Cliff <laughs> Richard funny. never got his picture <laughs> with uh, Elvis. And obviously he's sitting on the sofa saying this. Now in fairness, that's very much... Um, of his era because yeah. they have not they have not come on in leaps and bounds in the way that the current generation have in terms of their thinking about uh, bigger bodies and Alison Hammond said oh I hope that's not why you wouldn't come to my house or something and just kind of owned it just completely just she dealt with that beautifully go away. Yeah. yeah but it she was dealt with that very tactfully but it was cringy wasn't it it was awful and again like you were saying about the generational thing like I don't really buy that because like my nan the other day made a comment about um i think she called someone mixed race and i said oh no we don't um no it wasn't that sorry she oh, i don't know, I know I what you're it. gonna say she used a term that we won't say okay so my nan <laughs> used a term that we don't say anymore yeah with very good intentions like she wasn't being horrible or anything and i said oh nan actually we use the term mixed race now oh do we all right thanks darling i'll remember that and she's nearly 90. So yeah. I think this whole like, oh, it's a generational thing is not an excuse to be an arsehole. And actually, like Cliff, sorry, but you should know better. And actually, again, to say that in front of Alison, can you imagine if that was a comment about race? There would have been up, even more uproar, deservedly, deservedly. But because it's, again, because it's about someone in a bigger body, it's kind of like half the people were like, oh, it's fair game. Like, well, it's funny, you know. But, yeah, no, but mostly people I were. Think so. Yes, they were. But in fairness to that generation, because my parents are the same, they use uh, they use descriptors that I have to say, oh, no, 
that's not acceptable anymore. But at one point it used to be acceptable. Yeah. I'm like, we've yeah. moved on and now we use this word. Yeah. And they're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, well, that's just what we do. So if we're out in public, <laughs> please use it. If you need to yeah. use it, I prefer that you just, just don't talk yeah. about that stuff. Just don't, just, yeah. But generationally, I think when it comes to bigger bodies, someone like Cliff Richard at the age that he's in, he did grow up when actually you didn't see people who were inhabiting the types of bodies that are now and so I do I do want to give them the concession that they are going to have a different perspective because they're going to see it as a new thing whereas we have perhaps been more exposed to it since we were kids yeah I don't I don't really I think you can make us some concessions but I also think like time to get with the times cliff like bigger people have always existed and the fact that he uh, didn't want to have a photograph with with one of his idols because of his weight is actually really sad, isn't it? And I hope you'd, you'd think it was a lesson to him now to say, well, that's proof that you shouldn't judge someone by the way it should have had, you know, like the photo. Um, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I think we use that as an, a bit of an excuse to let people off off the hook. The thing about that particular exchange with Cliff Richard and Alison Hammond is that it went on for far longer than it should have done. He kept going. He didn't read the room. Everybody just was just everyone went ashen when they realized where the story was going. And he just yeah. he just kept he just kept talking. And yeah. at some point you're like, he's going to he's going to realize he's going to realize. <laughs> he just did it. And he never did. No. Um, and he's probably never going to do any media again because no. <laughs> because why would you? I did think that and like you know I don't think it was from a place of like malice or anything no. like that so um you know that you know is what it is but what was heartwarming was to see that the response to it with yeah. people saying like oh no like I was cringing watching this Cliff that's awful how could you say that I wonder if that response would have been the same five years ago I yep. feel like we are getting a little bit more accepting now. And like I say, social media gets a very, very bad reputation, sometimes rightly so. Mm. But actually that that filled me with hope seeing that people actually kind of were rushing to Alison's, def- like, you know, how could you say it in front of Alison? Yeah. And just generally thinking like, oh, what an awful thing to say and what an awful view to have, um, which is right and which is true. So yeah, maybe things are changing. Well, on a on a very bright note to end, let's talk about the fact that you have, come into the spotlight and you have the social media and you are now creating fashion content that you I'm sure would have loved years and years and years ago. And now you are the place people go to, to feel that they can and should shop for the, for the clothes that they want to wear. And they're not having to hide themselves. What I think is so beautiful about your fashion content in particular is it's not about hiding. It's not about cheating anything it's just celebrating who you are how you want to express yourself and how you want to show up in the world and it's completely free and just liberating thank you I really appreciate that it took me quite a long time to get there I've always loved fashion but I've always said like fashion didn't really love me because it was really hard to buy clothes Mm. and you know I think mostly online shopping is a dream and I just love being able to experiment now and express myself and I kind of came to the conclusion that you know I'm fat whether I wear a black baggy top and jeans or whether I wear something that's colorful more represents my personality and who who I am and actually I want to wear that so Mm. I'm going to wear that and it's um really really lovely and I feel so privileged to be in a position to be able to inspire other people to do hopefully the same um, and push themselves out of their comfort zone and I absolutely love getting messages from people 
saying I wore this for the first time the other day because of you or I had the confidence to try this and I got so many compliments and thank you so much like it's really helped and yeah that that really is why I do what I do and I love it I feel very very privileged well it's why everyone uh listening should go and follow you on Instagram and TikTok I love your is it um who's your friend that you do the TikToks with is it Lottie 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 yeah um they're so brilliant that's just so she's a size 12 and you wear the same outfits and you're like, yeah. look, it's great on both of us. Go and get them. <laughs> we do, yeah. Same dress, different bodies with um, with Lottie. It's, that's gone down so well. And I think, yeah, like you said, it has shown people you can be fashionable and trendy and wear whatever you want, like at any size. And I think we kind of grew up listening to these fashion rules of saying like, you can't wear stripes, you can't wear, um, you can't wear white, you have to wear V-neck, you have to wear A-line, whatever. And I think, you know, I think it, fashion should be fun. And, you know, of course we want to dress for things that like complement our shape and our size and our colouring. But the, the whole point of clothes is not to make you look smaller and not to be flattering. Um, and that's kind of, yeah, what I'm aiming for with what I do and, and the series that I'm doing with my friend Lottie as well. So yeah, I'm just glad that people have, it's resonated with people and, it, and it's helping. So I will put the links to your social media in the show notes. I will also put the link, the link to uh, Go Love Yourself, your podcast. Thank and you. I will be putting the link to Diet Starts Monday, which is out yeah. now. And congratulations. It really, it really is a wonderful book. And I really read, I could feel as I was reading it, the care, attention, and just how important it was for you to get the messages across so clearly. And I think you did a really, really wonderful job. Thank you. That really, really means a lot. Appreciate that. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Ever Gun Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook form. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.